Welcome to the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. We're putting black girl magic in motion. This show is dedicated to reinventing wellness for women of color. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Welcome back to the show. So happy that you're here tuning in, listening along, and I'm ready to bring you another great episode. We are heading full speed ahead into the holiday season, which I think makes today's episode topic even more prevalent, and that is mental health, specifically for people of color. So my guest today is going to really dive into the area of mental health, and we have an incredible conversation that I am so excited to share with you. But before we do, I'm going to get into the review of the week. It says, I'm a newer follower of what was once the Balanced Berry. My mom is actually the one who introduced me to Les's page because she's somewhat local, I'm in Portland, and focused on a wide variety of nutrition and exercise-related content. I have always struggled with my weight and also have insulin resistance and PCOS. I just wanted to thank you so much for starting this podcast. From what I can tell, it's one of a kind in that it takes into consideration people of color when talking about health, fitness, and nutrition, and I haven't found any other content that really focuses on the two at once. I can relate to the whole showing up at the gym and being the only brown girl there, or getting the weird looks from people because I just want to bust out to cardio to salsa music. It is so important to have a welcoming and inclusive space for people of color to be themselves in the fitness and nutrition world. We deserve it just as much as anyone else. Thank you, Les, for creating this virtual space for us olive-skinned, bushy-browed, curly-haired, thick women of color to come together and feel like we belong. And I hope to connect with you in real life someday, since we are basically neighbors. I look forward to listening to more episodes, and thanks again. Well, thank you for this amazing, amazing review, fellow Pacific Northwesterner. I definitely hope to meet you someday. And as a fellow bushy-browed, curly-haired, thick lady, I really, really appreciate you tuning in and being a part of the community. If you have not yet left a review for the Balanced Black Girl podcast on iTunes, please, please, please do so ASAP. It really helps us reach more people. The feedback really helps us improve the show with every episode, and we would love to hear from you and hear what you would like to see next. So as I said earlier, today's episode, we're diving into mental health, and my guest, Ashley McGirt, is a mental health expert. She is a super knowledgeable counselor who just drops some serious gems. We had such a good conversation, and I learned so much from her, and I know you will as well. So without further ado, let's jump in. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are digging into an incredibly important topic, and that is mental health and well-being for women of color, particularly for black women. Our guest today is Ashley McGirt, author, speaker, and licensed mental health therapist. Ashley helps individuals navigate through oppressive systems and eliminate anxiety and depression. I recently connected with Ashley after hearing her speak at a wellness summit here in Seattle, and as soon as her presentation was over, I basically sprinted up to her (laughs) to ask her to come onto the podcast, and I'm so glad she said yes, because I know you will all enjoy hearing from her as much as I did. So Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you. So happy to have you here. Um, So what made you want to work in the area of mental health? Have you always had an interest in mental health, or was it something that kind of developed over time? 
So I actually wanted to be an attorney growing up, but I was suffering from my own depression as a kid. And I grew up in Berrien, mm-hmm. and my mom was trying to find a therapist for me to see. And all throughout King County, she could not identify one black therapist. Wow. So I ended up seeing a white therapist, and I felt like I had to keep explaining so much to her about what it was like for me being a black child growing up in Berrien. Yeah. And that just added to my grief and my depression and anxiety and mm. all the things that I was feeling. And then I was thinking there had to be other black kids who was feeling the things that I was feeling. And I shouldn't be a child having to explain to this grown adult Mm -hmm. what it's like to be a black person in America. That's not my role, especially when I already have the loss of my grandmother weighing on me. And she just didn't really understand the importance or the role of grandmother in the family. It was more so this is the normal cycle of life, the aging process, all of these things. And I'm like, no, this was like a mother in my household who Mm -hmm. I just lost and just certain other things that she didn't get that I was going through as a black child. Mm -hmm. So I did a complete 360. Um, I had actually been researching law, had memorized like the Bill of Rights. I just (laughs) knew I was gonna be the next Johnny Cochran. (laughs) I was totally obsessed with the OJ trial. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna study mental health. I'm gonna study what's going on with the brain. What are some tools and some skills and some things that I can utilize to get through? Since one, I couldn't find any black women therapists available for me when I needed it most. Mm -hmm. And then after that, my mom was like, well, just pray, just continue to pray, just pray, just pray. And then I also felt that's what we tend to hear in the black community Mm -hmm. is just pray. And I feel like God puts people in our lives to guide them and show them tools and skills, which can be a therapist Mm -hmm. or things like that. So I basically just became what I needed most. (laughs) I love that though. It was from a a lack of representation and filling that need for other people who probably Mm -hmm. felt the same way you did. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. Thanks. So... You also, through your work, help individuals navigate through oppressive systems, which is especially important for women mm-hmm. of color. We're often facing oppression across both racial and gender lines. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that we can do as women of color to take care of ourselves mentally and emotionally when we're up against so much? Um, we have to take breaks and we have to allow ourselves that space to really and truly take breaks. I feel like a lot of times black women, we want to be all things to all people. Mm -hmm. Um, We're taking in all these different energies. We're looking at everything that happened in the news, Mm -hmm. all the latest tragedies. We want to be in the know. We want to be awoke. We also (laughs) want to take care of ourselves. And sometimes being awoke means recognizing, okay, too much is happening right now. I really need to kind of set this aside, stop reading every article, Mm -hmm. um, stop listening to every story and take time to really make space for myself and truly care for me. What does it look like to care for me? Because right now what's happening in the world, it's too overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're only one person. So we just have to take things day by day and be intentional about it. That's so true. Especially I think right now in this political climate, I mean, the last several elections we've seen, if you break down by demographic of black women saving a lot of causes with our votes, right? (laughs) when we shouldn't have to. I mean, we are actually a really small part of the population, and all of those things can't solely lie on black women's shoulders to save the day. Exactly, but we are bearing the weight of all of these systems, Mm -hmm. and we're not giving ourselves that time to take a break. Exactly. (laughs) And really breathe and heal and meditate and be intentional about healing ourselves. 
Um, I see it quite a bit in my practice. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm intentional (laughs) about telling my black women clients to really sit down and make space. You don't have to do it all. You don't have to be the savior. You don't have to be this strong person. And it's okay not to be okay. We can cry. We can feel. We can feel anger. It's so stigmatized. Nobody wants to be (laughs) the black angry woman. But Mm -hmm. anger is a healthy emotion Mm -hmm. depending upon how you behave in that anger state yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely oh that's such a good point of the full just being okay with the full range of human emotion right sometimes it feels like we can't Mm -hmm. love that so mental and physical health are very closely intertwined Um, through your work as a therapist have you seen maybe medical conditions that disproportionately impact women of color that could be prevented through taking care of our mental health and if so What are some of those ailments and what can we do to prevent that? Um, Yeah, so mental and physical health are definitely work together. And 20% of all medical issues are mental health related. Mm. And it's basically through somatic symptoms that show up in the body. Um, For instance, a lot of times anger, resentment, depression, anxiety, all of that manifests itself through uh, headaches, Mm -hmm. migraines, tensions in your neck. Mm -hmm. I know me personally, when I'm stressed, I get pains in my neck. Um, Sometimes your knees start to hurt. Um, We have uh, black women especially tend to have high blood pressure, Mm -hmm. high cholesterol, strokes, heart, heart disease, all of these things that are impacting our physical and mental health. So they go together. Uh, I feel like too often we try to separate them, but you have to really put them together. Absolutely. Yeah, because the, you can't have one without the other. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also so interesting because we hear a lot of those statistics, right, of things like, you know, heart disease being the number one killer in America. Or mm-hmm. We know that uh, black people disproportionately have higher blood pressure, and right. there's not enough conversations around the mental health aspect that's closely, so mm-hmm. closely related to it. Yeah. And I'm also a hospice therapist, so Mm -hmm. I work with people, patients, and their family members who have six months or less to live. And the majority of my patients who are black and poor, Mm -hmm. um, they tend to be dying at early ages Mm -hmm. from heart attack, stroke, heart disease, a lot of things that are preventative if they would have looked at the whole picture. But there's a lack of resources, a lack of education. Um, Really just the whole system needs to be broken apart Mm -hmm. and put together all together from scratch it's true it's so true and that's so sad I mean that's such a sad reality it's sad um and sometimes people are like oh my gosh you're a hospice therapist how do you do it yeah um but one of my favorite books I don't know if you're familiar with it is Tuesdays with Maury no No. I'll have to read it yeah it's a great book it's about this gentleman um he actually spends every Tuesday with this guy Maury who's Mm -hmm. dying Mm -hmm. and Maury really teaches him about the importance of life and all the things that he learns from Maury yeah and so I was reading that and I always felt that would be so cool to really sit with and talk with someone as they're transitioning because mm-hmm. we all leave this earth one day yeah um so it took me a long time to actually get into hospice work I didn't say like hey I want to be a hospice therapist yeah. I actually wanted to work with kids because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was a kid when mm-hmm. I needed a therapist yeah um a lot of things happened in my life a lot of different work-related positions changed yeah. and then ultimately I ended up doing hospice 
And so I get to essentially spend every Tuesday with Maury, but Maury <laughs> just looks like a different person. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's really fascinating work and it motivates me to live yeah. and also teach these things to other people so that they can live. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, I mean, some of the stories and insights that you hear from your patients mm-hmm. must be incredible. Yeah, it's truly a humbling, fascinating experience to be able to be allowed into their homes, for one, because I go into their houses, Um, because they choose to die at home. Mm -hmm. So I meet them where they're at. I get to see how they live. I get to meet their family and hear the things that were important to them, the things that they wish they did, the things that they did do. Um, So it's really, truly humbling, amazing work. Yeah. Wow. That is incredible. And it's no secret that there's a lot of stigma around the topic of mental health in our society. What are some ways, maybe even for those of us who don't work in the mental health space, can help kind of destigmatize conversations around mental health? Um, the biggest thing we can do is, one, talking about it. So having conversations like these, yep. talking, <laughs> talking to your friends yes. and your peers about mental health, mm-hmm. we need to start the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and also change our language. Yeah. Because if you change your language, you can change your behavior. Mm, and too that. often, we talk about mental health in a way that is stigmatizing. Mm-hmm. So we continue to perpetuate the system. We call ourselves crazy. Mm-hmm. We call other people crazy. Um, we make up names and we create so much shame and mm-hmm. guilt and fear yeah. when others are open about their mental health conditions. Um, for instance, Kanye West, mm-hmm. he's open about it, but we mock him in the community. Mm-hmm. We talk about him. Um, other individuals, that family member, you yeah. ask, did you take your medication today? And mm-hmm. not as if yeah. we're truly caring about them. It's like but condescending. Just, yeah, yeah, condescending, demeaning, yeah. Um, just mocking them. Mm-hmm. So I think the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it. Mm-hmm. Um, like we all feel hurt, pain, depression, sadness, anxiety, worry, fear. We all go through this. No one's exempt, not even me as a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're going through it, why would you mock someone? And also, we don't talk about people who have cancer. Mm. No one yeah. asked to have a mental illness. Yeah. yeah, that's such a good point. And I don't think people can kind of relate to relate the two, but it really is. It, I mean, it is kind of the same thing. Either way, it's an illness that doesn't need to be mocked. Exactly. Cancer attacks the cells in your body yeah. and mental illness. There's chemical imbalances in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some illnesses where your amygdala literally shrink, shrinks. Wow. And that's what allows you to reason mm-hmm. and think mm-hmm. and make rational decisions. But if you lose that portion of your brain or it's yeah. shrunken down to a size and you really can't think and reason on your own, that's not your fault. Mm-mm. Just like it's not the person's fault who has cancer where those cells are attacking their body. Yeah. Wow. No, that's such a good perspective that I know I never thought of it that way. And I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> Yeah, we don't. Either. We're just like, oh, no. Uh, especially in the black community, yeah. I hear that people choose to be depressed. It's a choice. Mm-mm. Like, who would literally choose to be depressed or have schizophrenia or bipolar but there's such this huge misconception that people are walking around choosing to be this way for attention Mm -hmm. um, or because they want to get their followers up yeah so it's all attention seeking behaviors and 
if it was for attention, shouldn't we maybe give them the attention they need if that will prevent them from ending their life Mm -hmm. or doing something harmful? Um, What would be so wrong about checking in on that person, asking them if they're okay, Mm -hmm. if that's the only way that they know how to reach out by Mm -hmm. posting things on social media Mm -hmm. that we feel are just attention-seeking behaviors? Yeah, I love that, actually giving people genuine attention to help them with what they need. True. Yeah. Um, There's this interesting documentary on Netflix. I think it's called Bridge. Um, I can't remember the name, but basically it's about suicide. Mm -hmm. And they're documenting the bridge in San Francisco that has the Mm. most amount of um, suicides on that bridge. Yeah. And they're interviewing one of the survivors who attempted to jump off the bridge. And he tells the story, and he said he told himself he would not jump if one person smiled at him or said hello. Wow. He got on the city bus. Yeah. He walked around for hours. Not one person looked at him. Not one person said hello. Not one person smiled. So he jumped. Wow. And he survived, so he's able to tell his story. But all it really would have taken was a smile or a hello to Mm -hmm. save his life. Yeah. And how many lives could have been saved you yeah, know, the people who who didn't maybe live to tell the story like he did, but felt the same way. Right. Wow. Yeah, because he actually survived his yeah. attempted suicide, yeah. but I'm sure there's others who feel like, well, maybe if somebody will reach out to me, I won't do this. Mm-hmm. So all it takes is a hi, a hello, compassion, yeah. kindness, things that cost cost us nothing. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. but can make all the difference for someone else. Yeah. So when I heard that in that documentary, I was like, wow, that's yeah. so powerful. Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I mean, it makes me kind of think twice about just how I walk throughout the day and interact mm-hmm. with people, even just having a pleasant disposition. Like you never know mm-hmm. how that can impact someone. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I try to be intentional about it. But then there's also the other thing, like who wants to walk around with a smile on yeah. their face all day? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, men always say, hey, smile. Mm-mm. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. But really just being intentional mm-hmm. and trying to be pleasant because yeah. you never know what the next person is going through or experiencing. Yeah. But we're so focused on ourselves and just going through our day and Mm -hmm. passing people by Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh that is so powerful and another really important segment of the mental health conversation is around trauma so not only personal trauma that you know we can all experience as individuals but for women of color especially you know we're navigating through a lot of generational traumas Mm -hmm. as well through centuries of violence and oppression you know, impacting our lineage. Is this something that you see with your patients? And what are some ways we can work through the generational traumas we're carrying? Yeah. So I actually focus predominantly on racial trauma in my private practice. So hospice is my daytime job. And then my private practice is my part-time job. Um, And the majority of my clients are black women Mm -hmm. and some black men and other races mixed in to the population that I see. Um, But in looking at that generational trauma Mm -hmm. and racial trauma, all of that that really impacts us as black women, Mm -hmm. it's one identifying it. So once Mm -hmm. I break it down and I show the residual effects from slavery and how that continues to impact our overall mental health and well-being today, Mm -hmm. it's sort of that light bulb that goes off. And that's also part of the stigmatization. So for instance, um, as slaves, we weren't allowed to cry or mope around and be depressed. The slave master would literally beat us Mm. for being sad because he didn't want a, a sad slave walking around his mansion, his property. Yeah. So you had to be upbeat. 
while you're still being beat and held against your will and doing all of these things forcefully, you still had to not show any emotion. Mm. And then slavery ends. We're free. Or or so we think we're free. We go through that whole process. process. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But and then what happens? We tell our kids, shut up or I'll give you something to cry about basically mimicking the very exact thing the slave master said to us. Mm-hmm. Not all black families do this, yeah. but I mean, I've heard my family members say it. Like, what are you crying for? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Yeah. As if crying or showing emotion is so bad. So really recognizing where those behaviors come from, yeah. that those behaviors were, were from the slave master yeah. and we're still perpetuating them today, um, looking at that. Some things that we did served a purpose during mm-hmm. slavery, mm-hmm. but we're no longer enslaved and on plantations yeah. um, in the sense of the whole back how it was in the 1800s and so forth. Yeah. Um, so really just acknowledging it, that's the one thing where it starts with my clients. Okay, this is where it came from. Mm-hmm. This is where it happened. Great grandma did it. Great, great, great. So it's mm-hmm. passed on. And then finding ways to stop the cycle. Yeah. Learning new ways to behave. Learning new ways to tell our children how to express their emotions yeah. without saying, stop crying, calling them names, you're a punk, or you're weak, mm-hmm. or all these things that we tend to say in our community. Yeah. Um, so that's how I look at the generational trauma. I also do these maps um, that really help you to identify some of your behaviors. Yeah. Um, uh, I do them all the time, and I'm drawing a blank on the name. But essentially, it's like a... Um, a lineage, mm-hmm. a, a map of your family history. Yeah. So how you would say, okay, um, you you draw out all your siblings, yeah. your parents, their parents, you map it out. And as you're doing that, you're writing down things that showed up in their life. So, okay, my mom was an alcoholic or okay, um, so-and-so was a gambler mm-hmm. or so-and-so. Like you're identifying yeah. the problematic behaviors in each family member mm-hmm. and then you can look at it and you can actually see the generations of things that have been passed down wow. based on your family history. Yeah. And sometimes we don't really recognize why we're doing things, mm-hmm. but it's generational and it's embedded in our DNA. Um, there's this thing called epigenetics. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I've heard of it. Yeah, epigenetics. Yeah. It literally yeah. shows how trauma is actually passed down into the core of our DNA. Wow. Um, they studied Holocaust survivors, mm-hmm. and so they pulled the DNA yeah. from their their grandparents and then the DNA from their kids and their kids and they looked at how that trauma gene it's like methus I'm I'm gonna butcher it right now (laughs) Um, but if you research or google epigenetics you'll Mm -hmm. see it and it's all based around holocaust survivors but then if you look at the history of African Americans that Mm -hmm. was a holocaust right there and so just any type of trauma Mm -hmm. and how it can be passed down and there's the science behind it so it's not just us linking it to slavery Mm -hmm. there's literal DNA that is attached into the core of all of our bodies as black people, as black women that is being passed down to our kids. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that is not nearly talked about enough. Not at all. (laughs) No one's saying words like epigenetics. We're not talking about how trauma is passed around in our DNA. Um, There's small circles, the science community, um, because it really starts to get above my head. I'm not all science like that. (laughs) I'm like, wait, metha? I can't even think of a word. It's like metha. It's some long word, but it's very important, and it just shows there's a science behind it, and they can literally pull it, and they can see that this this trauma is passed in our bodies. It's being transferred from one person to the next person 
and we're not doing any healing. We're not getting any healing. Yeah. We never sat down after slavery ended. We never sat those free slaves down yeah. and did group therapy. Mm-hmm. Jim Crow happened. We never sat down the people who were affected by Jim Crow era and said, hey, we all need to do some therapy. We, we never yeah. did that. Yeah. So we've never fully been healed. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that, too, especially when you talk about, you know, parents maybe not allowing their children to kind of express their full range of emotions is maybe coming from a place where they're trying to toughen them up of like, you know, we're in a society that's going to be a little tougher for you, Mm -hmm. but it's counterproductive to what is actually probably going to help in that situation. Exactly. And my mom did it. I'm telling you, my mom said it to me. I came home (laughs) crying from school. Like you need to stop crying about what those white folks did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I'm going to give you something to cry about it. That's what's real, but it served a purpose Mm -hmm. and it was a tool that was used to help prepare us for this world. Just like in slavery, it was a tool Mm -hmm. to help allow us not to be beat. Yep. Um, so it served a purpose back then, but yeah. now we're recognizing we it. it. So we need to find other ways to truly express our emotions mm-hmm. because if we don't, it gets built up. It shows up in our bodies. Yeah. We're having lower life expectancies. Um, we're disproportionately becoming incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Um, there's whole other factors associated with yeah. that, <laughs> yeah. which is a whole nother talk. <laughs> but, <laughs> but still, we just have to find ways to really change mm-hmm. the system. And it starts with as simple as changing your language yep. and the way we talk about mental health and mental illness yeah. as a people. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is so powerful. So in your work, do you see maybe recurring obstacles women of color face when it comes to prioritizing and taking care of our mental health? And what can we do to overcome those obstacles? Um, some of the main issues that I see as from a a black woman standpoint is women wanting to continue to devote the finances to it. Mm -hmm. We tend to put our money into other sources, but we don't tend to financially support our mental health. Yeah. Cause we can't see what's going on in our minds, Mm -hmm. but we can see the exterior. We can see the body. We can see our clothes. So we tend to um, purchase things a, a little differently yeah. and that also goes back to slavery and mm-hmm. there's a whole other impacts yeah. um, so that's some of the recurring things just basically not really wanting to commit financially yeah. um, to healing yourselves mm-hmm. um, not setting aside the time mm-hmm. and caring for others we're nurturers yeah. <laughs> as women yeah. already and we want to care for other people mm-hmm. be all things to all people so it's like my mom's going through this my sister's going through this yeah. I have to be there for them first before I can can be there for me mm-hmm. without recognizing that if you don't take care of you you're no good to anybody yeah i mean the first thing they tell you on an airplane is to put your mask on first mm-hmm. and we're not putting on our mask we're just helping everyone else and it's because we, and that's one of the good things about our culture yeah is we're all about the community mm-hmm. so i don't want to not encourage people to help others yeah. but we really have to look at are you able to? How much of you can you continue to give yes. before there's nothing left? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's something that happens a lot with especially black women is to give and give and give and give until there isn't 
really anything left. Exactly. Where we have some sort of health scare or something where our mm-hmm. bodies just are like, hey. <laughs> yep, and your body will tell you it's yep. time to stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going through this anymore, so I'm just yep. going to shut down on you. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and it's all mm-hmm. about kind of mitigating it before we get to that point. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And setting healthy boundaries. Oh, oh. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Yeah. <laughs> what do you recommend maybe if someone has a hard time setting boundaries? What are some ways that they can kind of get over that? <laughs> Make uh, setting boundaries easier. Well, it would depend on what the boundary is. Yeah. There, that's a whole big topic it is, mm-hmm. is setting boundaries with your family, mm-hmm. with your work, yep. um, with your partner, with your loved one. But really recognizing the difficulty in that particular boundary. Yeah. So is it an intimate partner that maybe makes you feel bad and Mm. says things like, if you loved me, you would do this. Mm. So then there's the issue of working around that conversation and what is actually love. How do you love yourself first? Mm -hmm. Um, So it really just depends on the specific issue. Sometimes there's boundaries around work, Mm -hmm. working too much. Um, And I just think, because I do work in hospice, what would you think if you were told you had six months or less to live? Mm. What if I had to tell you you were going to pass away in a week? And there are times when I tell patients that because there are certain signs that the body tells us when the body's going to shut down. There's things like aspirated breathing. Mm -hmm. So you'll start to take these long, drawn-out pauses. Um, There's other signs like you're no longer having bowel movements. You're no longer able to use the bathroom. You're not able to swallow. You're not able to eat. Um, things like that, the body starts to shut down, and yeah. I can literally pinpoint it and tell the patient if they're alert enough, yeah. hey, or I'll let their family member know wow. this is what's going on, and you know, we need to bring in whoever wants to say their goodbyes. Yeah. So I say all that to say, in knowing that, would you still be working that much at your job? Would you still be mm-hmm. devoting that much time? If you no die way. tomorrow, yeah. there's going to be an add on Indeed to replace your position in a week or, or less. Yeah. So, what's important to you? Mm-hmm. Um, is the work that important that when you leave this wor- world, you'll be okay? And if so, by all means. Yeah. If you're fine doing this until your last breath, yeah. and that's your legacy, and you, you won't have any qualms about it. But if you'll have questions or there will be things that you would have wished you have done, you would have wished you would have spent more time with your friends, your family members, then you need to slow down and set boundaries, mm-hmm. work your nine to five, take your breaks, yeah. <laughs> yep. do all of these things. Because yeah. too often we aren't taking breaks mm-hmm. and the, your employer is still taking that out of your paycheck. Yeah. So you're working for free. Yeah. <laughs> Which, didn't we get past slavery in, what, 1865? (laughs) I mean... We don't need any more of that. Right. Um, Nobody's slave. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's true, though. I mean, boundaries are so important, and they're hard. They can be Mm -hmm. really hard to set. Yeah, they are. And I struggle. I mean, I I model the things that I teach my clients, but I can attest it's hard. I've had to set boundaries with families, Mm -hmm. with friends. Because I am a licensed therapist, yeah. everybody calls me mm. all hours of the day. That's hard. And I really had to set limits. Yeah. Like, I cannot be all things to all people or mm-hmm. I will break down. Mm-hmm. And I'm an empath. I'm a filler. Yeah. People feel like because I do hospice and I sit with the dying, that death doesn't affect me. But it does. Yeah. Um, so, I, But I get through that by being intentional and by taking breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, I leave my private practice phone at home it's not with me right now yeah so my clients know if you try to call me that phone isn't even in my presence yeah um you can call the crisis line mm-hmm. things like that so mm-hmm. just really setting those boundaries not checking work emails after work hours yeah. um things like that yeah definitely mm-hmm. which is 
hard because we have these little devices where we feel like we're reachable at all times from all different areas, but it's so important. Yeah, one of my nurses, um, so in hospice, I work closely with two nurses. We have a team and we see patients together. And my nurse works all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And I have to keep encouraging her to take breaks. And she's really emotional and she often cries at the bedside of our patients. Um, I'm really happy that she's taken a whole week off from work next week. (laughs) But I have to constantly tell her, like, you have to take breaks. Why are you working? Um, I'll check my emails and I'll see she's sending me stuff at like one in the morning or as soon as the patient passes away she's notifying me my phone's off yeah but I'm like I'll find out I'll see the report and I'll see I'm like why are you staying awake and waiting to see if this person passes that's Mm. taking a toll on you and you won't be able to do this work yeah um sometimes I've been a little harsh with her because I can because we're close like that but sometimes people need it (laughs) that tough love um she's gotten it and she's taken a week off because she recognizes this is what she needs and she's taken a little bit too much time Mm -hmm. she really cares about our patients not to say I don't care about my patients but I also care about me because mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. I'm not cared for, I can't care for these people out in the world. Yes. Oh, that is so real. That actually is a perfect segue into my next question. Um, just because you are a busy woman, you work full time <laughs> as a hospice therapist, you have your own private practice on the mm-hmm. side, along with just having a life and being a human. What does self care look like for you, and how do you make mm-hmm. sure that you are kind of well taken care of when you, especially in having such a service oriented? role how do you take care of you um so definitely the setting of the boundaries yes and then I really follow these self-care principles which you I think I talked about it at the summit that Mm -hmm. you heard me speak at Mm -hmm. where there's three core principles to self-care one it has to be all about you yes um two it has to bring you joy Mm -hmm. and then three it has to nourish your mind your body and your spirit Mm. and as black women the things that we feel are self-care aren't truly self-care things like getting our hair done our nails done it doesn't hit all three yeah especially if we're in a nail salon or a hair salon and there's a bunch of other people so it's not all about you no um there are those occasions where maybe you're pampered and the person's doing your hair and your nails and it is all about you yeah but is it bringing you joy Mm -hmm. is it painful is it nourishing your mind your body and your spirit Mm -hmm. so for me the things that really hit all three is walking by the water Mm. um i used to walk by alki a lot yeah um or when i was living in Tacoma I would walk along the Tacoma waterfront but just taking walks and Mm -hmm. that's me by myself it brings me joy it nourishes my mind my body and my spirit and also writing Mm -hmm. I'm by myself it hits all three of those components Um, for others it's the gym working out Mm -hmm. you're a personal trainer (laughs) I'm trying to get that to be my (laughs) be that but (laughs) it's a struggle (laughs) it doesn't bring me joy so once it (laughs) brings me the joy it will you'll get there (laughs) yeah then um, it'll hit that yeah yeah, my main things are really just walking being near the water and writing um, taking bubble baths Mm -hmm by myself yeah. you know all really nourishing my mind my body and my spirit yeah um and so there's different things in mm-hmm. each person it's going to be different those yeah. are my go-tos for my true self-care yeah but i really think we need to break it down mm-hmm. and it has to be all about you yes um i see mothers who often tell me their self-care is spending time with their kids 
but it's like mm-hmm. no it's not all about you it's yeah. about your kid yeah or people who are married or in relationships my self-care spending time with my boyfriend or my husband or partner etc yeah. etc et and it's like no you need to show them that it's important and it's okay yeah. for you to truly take care of you yeah um i keep referencing books because i read books That's all day great. every day yeah. we're gonna link um, them all in the show notes so i'm but taking notes <laughs> hill uh, harper wrote this book uh letters letters to my sisters letters to my black sisters or something he didn't write it he wrote he basically put the stories together and michelle obama she wrote the opener and she talks about how she never once seen her mom take care of herself Mm. um and so she was very intentional to show her girls that she could take care of herself not in the sense of being independent and like financially providing for yourself but actually caring for yourself loving yourself doing these things for yourself and she really talks in that chapter about how it impacted her to not see her mom do these things totally and it was because her mom never seen her mom do Mm -hmm. it and her mom and it's just a generational pattern so when i read that it was really dope like oh i love that michelle is doing that for her kids to teach them hey, mommy cares for mommy. Mm -hmm. And she didn't bash her mom or talk about her mom in a negative way. She just really recognized, my mom never loved herself. And I've seen it. And our kids see it. Your kids are going to see it. Mm -hmm. Um, What she saw was her mom, bare bones, bare knuckles, Mm -hmm. taking care of them till her body was falling apart, essentially. She was getting sick, caring for her kids. But that was her sole purpose in life. But we really have to make sure that we're around, especially if your sole purpose in life is your kids. You Mm -hmm. need to make sure you're around for your kids. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I could imagine that a parent also wouldn't want to see their child grow up and just work themselves like crazy as well. Mm -hmm. Like you want your child to also grow up and take care of themselves and you have to Mm -hmm. model that behavior if they're going to grow up and do it. Right. And yeah, and I'm not a parent either, but so I was like really (laughs) recognizing it. And I hear my the parents around me say these things and I'm like, you got to teach your kids. Um, and I think I am so intentional about self care because Mm -hmm. I had a mom who was always like, she was very devoted to say, Hey, mommy needs mommy time. I'm going to do this for mommy. And then now we, as her kids, Mm -hmm. we take time for ourselves (laughs) and we recognize, okay, mommy needed that time for herself. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes there's this whole misconception that it's selfish, but it's self-preservation. Yes. So we have to change our mindset, change our language, our thoughts, our behaviors, yes. and the way we think about some of these things. Because I know as a kid, there was times like I wanted all of my mom's attention. Mm-hmm. Like, why is she out? Why is she doing these things for herself mm-hmm. and not for us? But she was doing so much for us as well. Yes. So she needed that time to get her strength and her energy exactly. to come back and be mom for us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And be you know, that much better and more present and, you know, because she took time to take care of herself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. You see, you had such a good example. Um, So you also wrote a book called I Tried to Travel It Away. I did. (laughs) Which is incredible. Um, Serving as a mental health guide for travelers. Yes. Can you tell us more about what inspired the book Mm -hmm. and who is it for, who needs to read it? What's, yeah. what's the scoop? <laughs> um, so it's literally my story. Yeah. I 
before people knew me as therapy with ash (laughs) i was travels with ash yeah i used to do a lot of travel blogging Mm -hmm. um and i just realized that i was constantly traveling and on the go 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 yeah um i had a talk with my sister who's Mm -hmm. not really into traveling uh, I brought her to Abu Dhabi with me. That was like mm-hmm. the only place she's ever gone. Yeah. But she's really content with being at home and spending time with her babies. Mm-hmm. And to me, I couldn't process that or understand <laughs> it. I'm like, why don't you want to go places with me? Yeah. I'm even offering to pay her to go. Yeah. Because <laughs> I wanted to get her out. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'll pay for your flight. Just come. And she's like, why are you vacationing from your life? Why are you running away? And then when mm. she said that, I was like, wow, that's deep. Yeah. I was like, what am I running away from? And mm. then when she said that, and there were also times where I had taken a bunch of trips and there was just stress and drama yeah. involved with those trips. And obviously I tell my sister and she hears those stories. Yeah. Like, I don't want, I don't want to have any time for that. <laughs> I, want, I don't want to partake in it. I'm going to stay right here yeah. at home. Um, But I started thinking, yeah, there's lots of things going on in my life that I haven't fully addressed, Mm. and I just keep taking a trip. And then I was listening to my clients who would come into my office and tell me, hey, I'm stressed. I I need a vacation. And I was like, I'm hearing myself. Mm. The things they're saying is actually me, and I'm trying to take a vacation. So I had to really break it down. Like, why do I feel I need a vacation as soon as I get back home from this trip? Yeah. Social media thinks it's great. Ashley went to 11 countries in a year. Mm. But what social media doesn't see is that Ashley just went through back-to-back emotional blows mm. and all these things that are taking emotional tolls on me. Yeah. You guys just see the highlight of what's going on. You don't actually know about the blood, the sweat, and the tears, the pain yeah. behind my story that's pushing me to want to just leave. Yeah. Um, so once I really addressed that, and spoke to my own therapist Uh, now I'm able to actually travel because I want to not because I have to not as a stress reliever Mm -hmm. because I dealt with that stress yeah and my trips are better because as I was saying I would complain to my sister about (laughs) the stress on my trips it was because I never dealt with the stress at home so it Mm. followed me and it impacted the way that I traveled yeah um but after that like my last trips I don't think there's really been any stress. I got sick in Cuba, but that's not really <laughs> stress related. But um, yeah, other than that. So I just wrote wrote a book because I'm connected to a lot of travel groups, yeah. um, Black Travel Movement, Travel Noir, all, all the Black Travel Clubs. Yeah. I'm in them. Yeah. And I see all these Black travelers. I need a vacation. I want to go to the next place. And yeah. it looks so cool on social media. And I'm like, these people are really running from something just as I was mm-hmm. because you shouldn't want to vacation from your life. You should be okay. Yeah. You should want a vacation because you want to learn about other cultures yes. and experience new things. Um, so yeah, just really stepping back and then using a lot of the tools that I teach my clients. Yeah. Like there's things where we break down each area of our life. Mm-hmm. I do that in my work with my clients mm-hmm. and that's also in the book. Yeah. A lot of the same worksheets that I use with my clients. Yes. I also put those in the book. Yes. Perfect. We will definitely have the book linked in the show notes too. <laughs> so you all need to go get it. Um, but I love that because I think that that's something that people kind of self-medicate with a lot, even if it's not travel, if it's shopping, if it's whatever, your, your problems are still going to be there when you get home. And if mm-hmm. you aren't addressing them, you know, and yeah. I'm talking to myself too, cause I do the same thing. <laughs> we all do. We all fall victim. We shop, yep. we, we mask our ills and, you know, drinking, mm-hmm. sex, partying, yep. 
isolating all these different things they show up in our behaviors Mm -hmm. and when you break down why are you behaving in that manner it's like okay something else is going on this is what's happened and then you address that Mm -hmm. and then you can live better you can move better and behave better yes like i haven't stopped traveling i still travel but i'm home and i'm content being home right now and happy and i'm not thinking i need to go off to thailand or somewhere immediately yeah yeah and like you said having even better trips now that you're in it for more of like the cultural experience instead of like running away from yep from things that were bugging you Mm -hmm. no i i mean when i invited you on i was like we're not going to turn this into a therapy session for me but (laughs) when you said that i was like i needed to hear that Take it, girl. Pick up all the jewels. Yes. <laughs> this is for me, too. I, I heal by healing others. Absolutely. It's really reciprocal. Yeah. Um, that's why I do this work. Yeah. So it brings me so much joy. And even hearing my clients mm-hmm. talk about how they wanted a vacation, that was an aha moment yeah. that I was going through the very exact things that they were coming to me with mm-hmm. and I needed to do the work that I was having them do. Yeah. Kind of like, it's like a mirror being held up probably Mm -hmm. when you hear that. Yep. Yeah. A big reason why I started this podcast and the Balanced Black Girl platform um, was largely inspired by my own experiences working as a black woman in the fitness and wellness industry and feeling like we're really underrepresented and underappreciated on a professional level. Have you had similar experiences as a black woman working in the mental health space? And if so, What has that been like? Um, Yeah, that's been traumatic in and of itself, Mm. being a young black mental health professional. Um, So right now, the company that I work for is really great, and I'm pretty independent in terms of my hospice role. I just go with my nurse, and half the time, my nurse isn't with me. So like I can see my patients on my own, and then she goes, but we work as a team. But prior to that, I was working in hospitals, Mm -hmm. skilled nursing facilities, psychiatric facilities, and prisons which I still wow. sometimes contract in the psychiatric facility. Yeah. Um, so I'll go there and I'll do group therapies yeah. um, every once in a while, as well as sometimes I'll still go to the prisons mm-hmm. and offer counseling to um, people who are incarcerated. Mm. But I say all of that to say when I was in one of my roles, I was serving as the director of social services. Mm-hmm. And I served that role for six years. So mm-hmm. I looked even a lot younger six years uh, back when I was in that role. So I didn't know if it was age or race. I really attributed it to race, but Mm -hmm. oftentimes people would not even call me the director. Mm. Um, They wouldn't look at me. Mm. Um, And I got it from both sides, from white and black people. Like they would, there was a white person who had an office next to me and yeah. they would automatically walk to him and assume he was the director. Mm. And he's like, no, it's Ashley. I'm yeah. like, yeah, hey, it's right Ashley. Yeah. It's me. I'm the director. And then they were like, wow, you're the director. How did you become the director? Where'd you get your degree from? Let me see your transcripts. But would you be asking that white man for his transcripts mm. and his degree? No, you would Probably just accept not. that he was the director. Yeah. Um, so those are wow. some of the experiences that I went through in terms of like the diversity issue that you did yeah. in your role. Um, just really having my degrees questioned, my positions mm. questioned, um, not really having people want to receive help from me. Mm. Um, 
lots of black people, of course, they're like really happy to see a black therapist come yeah. in. So they praise that. Yeah. But other people, um, I had, I've had white patients blatantly say that, no, they're not going to see me. They're not going to talk to me. Wow. Um, get out. And that's fine because I also didn't want to see the white therapist that I seen mm-hmm. as a kid. They didn't get me. Yeah. And I was explaining too much to them. Yeah. And also when I talked to a therapist about this experience and mm-hmm. how hard it was being a director, yeah. I didn't want to talk to a white therapist about it because yeah. my problems are white people. Yeah. So how can I <laughs> go to that white therapist yeah. and be like, all the white people are refusing to call me a director. Mm-hmm. They're rolling their eyes at me yeah. and just not paying attention to me when I speak. Yeah. Um, so that was that role actually led me to me opening my own business. Mm-hmm. And... I wasn't quite ready to go full-time private practice. I'm still not quite there. Yeah. And I really love my hospice role. Yeah. So then I did hospice and I can be independent Mm -hmm. and I don't have to have this whole director title and feel like I have to constantly explain to others why I'm the director. Mm -hmm. It's like, I've been the director for six years. Exactly. You should know this black woman, me, (laughs) who graduated from UW Mm -hmm. is your director. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, if that's my role, like, why question it? Right. Yeah. But, yeah, it came from all sides, literally, black, white, Hispanic. They just didn't understand how I was the director Mm. without even knowing my background, just seeing me and automatically walking to the white man whose office. And his office was smaller. Yeah. So you generally would think the person with the bigger, nicer office. (laughs) And it clearly said (laughs) director of social services on my door. And they would literally walk to him. And it got to a point to where, like, he would see people walking in and he would, like, point over, like, you're looking for Ashley. Like, you need to go to Ashley. He just office. needed a sign that's, like, he, yeah. listen. Because he, he was in a role to where people wouldn't be coming to see him. Yeah. But they would come to talk to me. So yeah. he just would signal. Yeah. That is incredibly frustrating. Yeah. I'm sorry that you had that experience. And so many other black men are black men and women are yeah. going through that experience yep. right now. Yep. Mm. In their, so. in their said role profession, it's unfortunately so common. Mm-hmm. But there are some companies that are getting better, mm-hmm. like hospice, even though I'm private, the company I work for, they're all about cultural competence mm-hmm. and diversity yeah. and lots of training because um, our patients, yeah. they come from all walks of life. Yeah. So really just making sure that people understand and have a non-biased perspective mm-hmm. and really humble themselves totally, and ask questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, which is so important. Yeah, yeah. So I have one more question. This one's going to be more more of a personal question, kind of a fun one. What does being a balanced black girl mean to you? Ooh, being a balanced black girl. Yes. Let's see. <laughs> I would just say, um, knowing you don't have to be balanced at all times. Mm, I feel like we yes. have to. We're all so set. I'm not balanced. I'm not this <laughs> way. But just knowing life happens, mm-hmm. we mess up. Um, and just focusing on your physical, your mental, your spiritual, all of that and balancing it however it needs to be balanced in that moment Mm -hmm. and knowing that sometimes the scales change. Okay, that's how things need to be balanced for you five years ago, Mm -hmm. but right now we need to balance it a little different. We need to tip the scales one way or another. So being a balanced black girl is really just being aware Mm -hmm. and knowing that you don't have to have it all together and it's okay and life happens. I love that. I love that so much. And I also needed to hear that. 
<laughs> All the jewels. All the jewels. Gem drop in. That's what we're here for. So, Ashley, where can our listeners find you to keep in touch with you? Um, you can find me, Therapy with Ash, on Instagram, mm-hmm. um, Facebook, Ashley McGirt, my website, ashleymcgirt.com. And that's all I do for the social media. Um. <laughs> that's perfect. And we'll have all of that linked in the show notes so y'all can go keep in touch with Ashley there. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I really appreciated it. <laughs>